This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Ahmad Fuad Rahma and welcome to Night School, the show that explores key themes in history, the social sciences and the humanities. We critically unpack theories, frameworks and social phenomena, the better to understand how society works. Each week, we discuss a classic text, theme or an idea that we hope to shed light on the world around you. I'm welcoming my comrade from Digital Desires to Night School today, Vizla Kumarisan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Fuad. Thank you. So basically, I just want us to talk about issues around this question I always get and I feel that I really can't answer them. So I'm hoping that you can help me out here. And the question here is, do I need therapy? Not I as in Fuad, but (laughs) when do you know that you need therapy, right? Because social media has increased awareness about mental health. And now people are considering therapy to be a proper option in their self-care more broadly, right? Not just physical health, but mental health. But it is not always obvious to people that they necessarily need therapy, if it's just a phase, or if it's just tied to a family problem. So I'm hoping for us to clear that stuff out. So I guess let's start with the basic question then. When is it mental illness? And when is it just a life frustration? How Mm. do you tell? Mm. Well, oftentimes, the two of them merge and it's very hard to tell one apart from the other. And I suppose the important things to remember are the signs that we maybe perceive in ourselves or what other people are telling us, which might be a cue for us to get help. Mm-hmm. And I'll go through those first, perhaps, sure, sure. right? The first would be if you are dealing with some kind of trauma, Right now, I know this word trauma has also been used very loosely in today's you know social context. But in terms of trauma, you know, psychologically, we're talking about things like you may have been involved in a severe accident, or you might mm-hmm. have witnessed a really bad accident. Mm-hmm. There might have been fatalities, mm-hmm. and some of you might say, "Oh, this is Malaysia lah. Every time got accident, mm-hmm. right?" Mm-hmm. But no, but you actually start having nightmares about this particular accident. Mm -hmm. You find that you are avoiding the route in which this accident took place. Mm -hmm. You are constantly having flashbacks of this accident or this incident, right? So these are some of the signs of trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And other examples of traumatic experiences would be things like abuse, any kind of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, rape. Many adults have their memories of childhood abuse resurface at different points in their lives. If you have a relationship with someone, this could be romantic or otherwise, even it could be a professional relationship where you feel like you are constantly, you start feeling afraid of this person. Mm -hmm. You start avoiding, for example, going to work because you don't like your boss. And it's not just I don't like my boss, like you actually get a physical reaction, say, when your boss is around. So these are all signs that you are experiencing trauma. Mm -hmm. And this is probably one of the best indications that you need therapy. Mm -hmm. My sense of it is that the reason why this term has become so commonplace is that, like you said, it's so expansive as to include witnessing a crime to even like dealing with a very difficult person at work, right? And I think it's good to pay attention to those things because people do belittle the more mundane context to be 
free of those stressors. Yes, yeah. right. You know, in psychological terms, a traumatic event would be something, uh, an event in which you fear for your life and your physical safety. Mm-hmm. All right, and or emotional safety. And I do know that there are some bosses who can make you feel that way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or some work environments, for example. So aside from trauma, there are also other reasons, you know, other other factors which might drive you or make you think that you might need therapy. Something that many of us do and we come to normalize it is we catastrophize, mm. right? We think that, you know, the worst thing is about to happen. Oh right. my God, we're right. going to die, right. Right? right? So, you know, doing that all the time, every time and it's not just about saying it or like texting or like sending an emoji that conveys that feeling, but actually also experiencing other things like hyperventilation. Mm. You can't breathe, heaviness in your chest, tightness in your chest, butterflies in your stomach. Like you can't Not the good feel, kind of butterflies. Not the good kind yeah. of butterflies, right? The kind of butterflies that make you want to vomit, right, right. make you want to run to the toilet. And this is basically your fight or flight response, mm-hmm. right? Because everything feels like a threat instinctively when you react that way. Exactly, right? And so this is probably a sign that you are dealing with severe anxiety Mm -hmm. and that would be a good reason to go and seek help. Mm -hmm. The other thing which many people also overlook is things like consistent pattern of difficulty of waking up in the mornings, loss of appetite or increased appetite, which is unusual for you, Mm -hmm. right? It's not usual for you. A loss of joy in or enjoyment in the things you used to enjoy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whether it's hobbies, activities, anything. You know, you've just lost joy in doing them. These are all early signs of, it could be depression, mm-hmm. right? It could be a temporary stress, but speaking to someone might help you understand that. Other reasons would be difficulty in managing your emotions, Right, especially if it's anger or even I don't like using this word, but I suppose it's going to be the word that's they'll best describe it because people will recognize it. If people call you oversensitive, mm-hmm. right? Very easily you cry, for example, or you get hurt very easily. The slightest comments and you get hurt, right? Those perhaps are indications that you could use some help to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course, another reason could just be a simple curiosity to understand yourself better. Mm-hmm. Like you know, some people just want to know, why do I do the things I do? Mm-hmm. Why am I like this? And how can I be better? Right? Therapy is not just about mental illness. It's also an opportunity for people to experience growth, mm-hmm. right? Psychological and emotional growth. You might find that you're stuck in a certain point of your life then you want to grow. Or your friends keep telling you that, hey, I think you need to see someone, mm-hmm. right? Or you find that you're stuck in certain cycles which may not be good for you mm-hmm. and you just want to understand why you get into those cycles and how you want to come out of that cycle, right? So it's not the most exhaustive list, but I would say that these are just some of the reasons. a good start, yeah. Yes. Now, I do want to clarify the issue of functionality because some people say, there's nothing wrong with me. I go to work, I pay my taxes, I'm going to the gym, you know. But, you know, sure, something feels amiss, but all in all, things are just going as they should, right? Life is just moving. And that can be very misleading because people think that our ability to put aside our demons in order to complete, like, a to-do task every day is a sign of doing well. Now, can you clarify 
where functionality comes into okay. this. Yeah. I suppose it's also a spectrum because when we are dealing with say, anxiety or depression, there is also a spectrum of, of severity. You've got mild depression and you've got extremely severe depression. And of course, it's the more severe forms which are very, very debilitating. Mm-hmm. This is where you find that it's difficult to function. But some people can also have very severe forms of anxiety and or depression, but have just developed certain coping skills and therefore can function, Mm -hmm. right? They can do things. They can go to work. They can do all those things, but they just have that sense where they lack fulfillment. They might lack joy. They might feel like they are, you know, a duck swimming on water, right? Most of us feel like that sometimes. You look very calm, but mm. underneath you're just paddling, paddling like very, crazy, very hard, right? Yeah. And trying to just remain above surface. So it is very, very subjective. And this is why I think people really should have a good understanding of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Your life is not just about how well you function. It's also about your well-being. How mm-hmm. do you feel? You yeah. know, Are you able to be happy? I'm not talking about happiness, right. but right, just be happy. Enjoy yourself. Be in the Find moment, joy. Laugh, yeah. laugh, right? Just be relaxed and not have to worry about everything, right? Mm-hmm. That's important too. So what is well-being in this picture, right? Because... We like to think that it's subjective, everybody has different needs, everybody has different moods. So sometimes you just think, well, I'm just a mellow person, right? Mm. I just can't be like skipping through the meadows every time, right? Because that's just not me. So what's the measure of well-being? Mm. Well, well-being, yeah, it's very difficult because it's, uh, again, another word that's used very liberally in our social context these days. But I suppose for me, well-being would be that state where you are at your best self, mm. where you are performing. Mind you, this might be maybe one day in the year, right? <laughs> where you're the most if productive. You're lucky. Yes, you're, yeah. you're the most productive. You're producing your best work. You know, you make everybody happy. You're happy yourself and all those kinds of things. Like, you know, we can't have that every day. And that's why well-being is not something you have or you don't have. It's something you work towards. Mm-hmm. Why can't we have it all day? I mean, like every day again? Well, because there's so many things that's beyond our control, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? And because we all come with our own pasts, we all come with our own stories, we all come with our own different ways of understanding life and happiness and all those things. And some days are just better than others. Mm-hmm. And we don't have control about that either. I might be having the best day of my life and then at five o'clock in the evening, it pours <laughs> cats and dogs and then I'm stuck for traffic in two hours and then that's just gone. Yep, yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So the diagnosing part, right? Because I think this experience is different for people because some people are more of a hypochondriac than others. They Google the symptoms and they think it all applies to them, right? It's not unusual. So how do we get into the details of those things that you listed, right? Because the word, like you said, trauma, everybody's using it right now and like, you're not quite sure. OCD, everybody, you know, and some people are saying that the word anxiety is being used more and more to be indicative of a clinical state of mind now rather than just like you know an existential be you know condition so how do we diagnose these things do we go to a specialist necessarily or can we start googling what do you suggest okay so if you are going to google there's nothing wrong in googling just google the right sources the only authorities that can properly diagnose are the international classification of disease icd which is available 
online. Not the full version, but you will be able to find the basics online. And the other one would be the DSM, the mm. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which many psychologists use. And both of these have strict criteria you have to fulfill in order to have a diagnosis. And the diagnosis, anxiety in itself is not a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. There are many anxiety disorders, right? So Trauma too, right? Well, if- trauma in itself is not a diagnosis, mm-hmm. but the experience of trauma and how people interpret that is necessary for classification of post-traumatic stress disorder or mm-hmm. acute stress disorder. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to go online and try and find out what's wrong with you, please use one of these two sources. Of course, the better option would be to actually see a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. All right? Many people come to see me thinking they have this or that disorder, and then I realize actually what you're going through is very normal. Right? What you need perhaps is some skills to manage your condition, but you're not mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Right? And OCD is another one. Just because somebody likes cleanliness, it doesn't mean you have OCD. OCD yeah. is a severe and extremely debilitating mental illness. Yeah. People, I hear that thrown around yeah, all the time. Yeah, people really should stop using that to describe how they just like their dishes arranged <laughs> according to color yeah. or their desks you know managed properly that's not OCD that's just you like things neat and tidy and that's okay mm-hmm. you know I think sometimes when we overuse these words out of context we're also trivializing what are really serious conditions and people who have these conditions go through severe pain right it's not fair to diminish that yeah that's interesting let's get into more details about the nitty-gritty of these terms, right? Because, like you said, they're always at the danger of being a ridicule almost, right? Because we, we laugh it off, OCD being one example, ADHD as well. So let's take a pause and we'll be back for the second part of this discussion where we talk about mental health and whether or not you need therapy. I'm Ahmad Farahmat, joined by clinical psychologist Vizla Kumarisan and this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to me, Ahmad Farahmat, on Night School. And this is an episode talking about mental health, almost at a 101 level, just to understand whether or not the world of therapy is for you. Joining us to do that is Vizla Kumarisan, clinical psychologist and also co-host of Digital Desires. If you haven't heard that yet, check it out soon. It's very cool. And in the first part of the show, we talked about the basic distinction between well-being and mental illness, so to speak, and how you go about diagnosing yourself or when you need to see a professional. So we've gone through the terms, we've talked about how to Google and say if I do want to go to therapy, there's a question of what kind, right? Because it can be very confusing to see the menu on offer, right? People have different approaches and then there's this weird distinction between psychiatry and psychology So say I've done a bit of Googling, I think I have X, Y, Z, what's the next step? Okay, so ideally, you'd first go see a psychiatrist who will then assess you and diagnose you if necessary. The psychiatrist may or may not prescribe you medication. We'll come to the topic of medication afterwards, Mm -hmm. right? And then medication alone is that's great medication is an important step for you to get better but medication alone isn't going to help 
there's a lot of scientific evidence that shows that medication combined with psychotherapy, regular psychotherapy, is the best way to deal with any form of mental illness. So aside from getting the medication, you also need to get psychotherapy. And this is where you would go see a clinical psychologist or a counsellor. Okay, let's backtrack a bit. So what kinds of questions or what kind of conversation would you have with a psychiatrist Okay. at the first meeting? So the psychiatrist would expect you to describe your symptoms. All right. So, so this is where you say, I can't sleep, I, I catastrophize, that kind yes, of thing. Okay. Right. And then the psychiatrist would, okay, because for example, I can't sleep. That in itself, it doesn't tell me much. Mm-hmm. All right. When I'm stressed, I can't sleep. When I've had too much coffee, I can't sleep. Right. All those kinds of things. So the doctor will probably ask, the psychiatrist will probably ask you a few more questions to clarify that. Mm-hmm. And then again, he's going to, the psychiatrist is going to ask you questions like, when you say you can't sleep, what is it? You can't fall asleep? Do you wake up? regularly or then you wake up very early Mm. and you can't go back to sleep so there are different forms of insomnia as well so they're getting the detail very detailed and also this is very important how long you've had that problem for Mm -hmm. right I've just learned that I can't have any caffeine after 6pm right and if I didn't know any better, I would have gone to see a psychiatrist about it. Mm. But all I had to do was observe my own behavior. But I have the skill to do that, mm. right? So some people get very annoyed that they're being asked all these questions. But these questions are necessary in order to understand right. where the symptoms, where the behaviors are coming from. If you are experiencing any form of, you know, you're hearing voices that's not there, you're seeing things that's not there, even if you think they're ghosts, right? In our culture, you know, it's very common for people to believe in ghosts and spirits. You need to talk about this to your psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. right? Because it might be a sign of something either a bit more severe, right? It could be a hallucination. It could be a delusion. These things are very, very important to inform to the psychiatrist. Other things, your eating habits. The doctor will want to know about your appetite. This is the other question, your sex drive. And many people get very shy when they ask this question. And I've had people who say, but I'm not married. You don't have to be married to have a sex drive, mm. okay? You can still think about sex. You can still fantasize. You can still do all those things. And you're comparing it now to what it was before. Mm-hmm. So basically at this point, when you are talking to a psychiatrist, he or she wants to know what you're going through. Yes. And how this manifests in your bodily state yes right Right. they might be asking you are you going through any difficulties at the moment how's work how's your relationships any of these things Mm -hmm. so if the psychiatrist assess does the clinical interview and finds that you do have a condition they might even speak to someone else Mm -hmm. say maybe a family member to get their perspective of you as well and this is not uncommon in mental health practice and then you might be diagnosed with something or you might be told that this is a stress condition. Mm. You know, what you do, need to do is reduce stress. Here's what you can do to reduce stress and things like that. And then there are some psychiatrists in Malaysia who do psychotherapy, but on the whole, many of them don't. Okay, so can you tell us that difference then between psychiatry and psychotherapy? Okay, so a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. So in Malaysia, most doctors have an MBBS degree. And they have specialized in mental health, right? So psychiatrists are the only ones that can prescribe medication for mental illnesses, Mm -hmm. okay? And just because you're a psychiatrist, it doesn't mean that you're automatically 
do therapy, you actually have to undergo specific training to do therapy. Okay. And that's where the psychotherapist comes in. So that's where so this therapy is called psychotherapy. Mm. And there are different kinds of psychotherapy. There's cognitive behavior therapy, there's rational emotive behavior therapy, there's I think you've explored on this show, existential psychotherapy. There's a whole, you know, yeah. bunch of different forms of therapy that's psychodynamic. And right? typically from the point of talking to the psychiatrist is it the psychiatrist is going to recommend the next step or do you then decide based on googling some more or well you can decide right you can decide for yourself there are some psychiatrists who might recommend your medication and you say i don't want to try medication first can i try therapy first you are welcome to do that mm. however if your condition is severe say it's impossible for you to wake up in the mornings you can't just get through your day, right? Or you're hearing voices or you're having severe panic attacks. These are conditions where you will need medication to at least help you get better. Mm -hmm. Just that hurdle, that That immediate bump to just get you moving. Yes. Okay, so, but typically people don't generally start with psychiatrists. No. Uh, They will just Google around mental health or there's a clinic in PJ I guess I'll just give it a try right now that's not necessarily a bad thing either that is not necessarily a bad thing many of my patients come to me like that Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and the way I work I do the same thing I do a clinical interview first I assess for the symptoms and what's wrong and I will have a discussion with my patient about potentially going to a psychiatrist to get medication for example and I would explain to them why it's necessary and things some people think oh my god I need medication does that mean I'm mad mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. no it's not it's just because your symptoms are like this and it's something we need as a temporary solution for you to be able to function better and therefore you also do well better with therapy and it'll work faster and better. Now, how do I know which method is right for me? Because I know CBT and existential psychotherapy are worlds apart. Yes. So how do I navigate these different options? Talk to your therapists. Go online. Do your research, right? I personally love it when my patients come to me with fully researched and I want this and I want that great Mm -hmm. you know it just makes our working relationship that much better Mm -hmm. if you don't want to meet them at the appointment get them on the phone talk to them and ask them questions what is this therapy what is that therapy Mm -hmm. right and see what works for you yeah a common complaint and i can relate to this as well having tried different things is that the method is only as good as the therapist in that it could be the therapist's temperament that turns the person off. Yes. It could be a certain, you know, at some point they're so easily triggered, especially when they're brittle. And this is totally understandable, right? It could be a wrong question. It could be the wrongly timed word. It could just be purely, you know, insensitive. Yeah, yeah. And therapists are human too, right? And sometimes they've had a long day. It might have been something really important for you, but the therapist trivialized it. Yeah, so sometimes I've heard so many of these cases where they drop out after two sessions. They drop mm. out after three sessions. Or the more extreme case is that they try four different therapists and none of them can just sort of suit their temperament. So explain that dynamic okay. between therapist and client. So I think in order for therapy to properly work, yes, there needs to be some kind of, um, for the lack of a better word, click between mm-hmm. the client and the therapist. And yes, it might take a while for you to find that person. So this is why I, th- where I say talk to them. Yeah. Right. Talk, ask them questions, right? If you have particular points of view that you think other people might view negatively, ask them, what are your opinions on this? 
Or on the client side as well, what I tell them is like, break down your fortress a bit, you know, go for the third time, push yourself yes. a little bit. You need that nudge because at that point, everything feels so bleak. Yes. One trip to the therapist is not going to change that. No, but here's the thing. If it's something that the therapist said that you have a problem with, question the mm-hmm. therapist. Mm-hmm. Ask them, you know, you said this. Why did you say that? Or, you know, I was talking about this issue and it's very important to me. And when you said that, it sounded like you were trivializing what I was experiencing. That hurt. Mm-hmm. Tell them that. Yeah. Right? And if the therapist says, I'm really sorry, I didn't think so. You know, this is what yeah. I was trying to do. And if that sounds okay to you, pursue that. Mm-hmm. But if the therapist continues to trivialize it, then that's probably an indication that, you know, it's not. Don't give up. Yeah. yeah. Right? You need to, like you said, therapists are human too. And sometimes... Yes, I'm trained to do this, but not always can I see everything from your point of view. Yeah. Right? And sometimes it's after lunch at three o'clock, everybody just wants to nap. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying that we cannot think that this is a be-all, end-all for no. recovery. Right. A lot of it is your yes. work as well. Yes. So what I tell people too is that, look, they're not going to save you yes. and you shouldn't expect yes. that. They're not even going to enlighten you necessarily, but there is a lot you can work with not otherwise. Only that, yeah. you know? But therapy in itself is a bit of a roller coaster because a lot of people assume that I saw you one time. Why do I still feel like crap? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. because number one, it, it takes more than one session to you know. You've been living with this condition for maybe your whole life. Mm-hmm. What did you expect to achieve in one one-hour session? And number two, for many people, the first few sessions it can be a very low experience mm-hmm. because it's history taking. For example, like this is you know when for me the first few sessions are history taking, and the person might have had to revisit painful memories from their past might have had to revisit a traumatic experience so you know it's not very pleasant to go to these places to open the doors which you worked very hard for many years to shut and lock Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right so it can be a very low experience so like you said you know encourage them you need to go for more than two sessions yeah i always tell them to prepare for a change of disposition especially six or seven sessions in that's when you start getting the full traction yeah, of what, what do you mean by change of disposition in the sense where you're going to be in a zone where you've never pretty much been with, with no. anybody no. in your life because after the history taking there's going to be the talk part of course this is for talk therapy right talk more talk oriented therapy where you're going to be talking about things that you don't normally never thought about before and that space is going to be very very cherished for its delicate sense of security, right? And not everybody is ready for this. Sometimes the therapist might not be. But the fact that you've reached that level, I think is already progress in a sense where there are certain comforts either attained or discovered, right? So I tell them the key thing is patience. But typically people have been so haunted by their struggles that they might not even get to the third session. You know, that to me is why I keep saying, Give it a try, you know, work on this. I know it's not a perfect process, but, you know, we've reached rock bottom sometimes and there's nothing that you will lose just from pushing it a little bit more. Yes. And the thing is, a lot of people have probably shared with the therapist stories which they've never shared with anybody else Mm -hmm. before. And that in itself can be very disconcerting. This notion that somebody knows my story. For some people, it's very, very scary. Yeah, it's not just a story, but... Your demeanor, your tone, you realize that you have a posture that comes out when this story comes out. You're reacting a certain way, you know, because it is 
there in our narratives that we show ourselves and transform, right? Yeah. And whether or not you get there is something that you'll only know like sometime yes. in, you know? Yes. And therapy also, it's... Okay, so there are different things that's required at different stages. Many people come to a therapist expecting someone with a very parental tone. Yes, the therapist is there who's supposed to be unconditional. Yes, as long as you show up, they're there to be unconditional and that happens. But they are not going to be your parental figure. So they're not going to say, oh, honey, yeah. is that okay? They're not going to say that. They're not going to kiss your boo-boo, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll be, really? Mm-hmm. Why would you say that in that very confrontational role? Mm-hmm. And there's a a necessity for that confrontational tone because perhaps they need you to confront something, maybe your entitlement and, or yeah. in different things, right? And it's very hard for me to have that conversation with people who are giving up or prone to just drop it because... They get hurt because to them, their perspective is, I'm opening myself up to you. But instead of, you know, unicorns and rainbows, I get told off, you know, so... But I'm not telling you off. I'm helping you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. I have to kind of reorient it and say, well, what do you expect her to do? She right. just can't be this pacifier this entire time. No, I, you know, you, right. therapy in this country is not cheap, right? Mm-hmm. And I take this very seriously. People paying me a lot of money and I'm not going to sit there and give them sweet nothings. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make your money work for you. And I, for me, I would like you to get out of my chair and out of my office and in the real world mm-hmm. in the shortest time possible. And I will do whatever I you know, think is necessary. Right. And sometimes, I mean, I'm not one for drastic measures, right? But sometimes, yes, I need to be a little firm. Like, come on. Why are we still stuck here? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you that because mm-hmm. that's what you need to hear. Yeah. Another common response that I get is maybe I just need to pray more. And this is not just Malay Muslims, Christians no. you know, in Subang and PJ to tell me it's the same thing. Like, yes. I just need to be closer to God. This is just God telling me that really deep down I need Him. So at that point, you know, I put my biases aside and they don't necessarily like to hear that either, that, you know, they're running away, but just using God as an excuse this time. So what do you respond to that? My professional opinion is that, yes, prayer does help. Prayer is, you know, it it gives people a sense of calm, peace, and yes, a connection to a larger meaning and things like that. But that alone isn't going to work, right? Therapy doesn't have to be something that's separate from your experience with God or religion, right? The therapist can work with your religious belief and with your religious experience. But prayer alone isn't going to help, no. Do we encourage people with cancer to just pray? I mean, I know some people do, but on the whole, we know that you need to go to the doctor. You need to take medicine. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to do all these things and pray. Yeah, It's the same with therapy. Another one that I always get is that, oh, I tell them what therapy is like and they go, that's just like paying for a friend, mm. right? So uh, it's not, but no, it's people not. would like to reduce it to that. It's not, it's yeah. not. Because like I said, yes, I develop a very close relationship with my patients because of what they've told me and the amount of trust and the dynamics that happen during a therapy session. But I make it very clear to them, I am not their friend. Mm-hmm. I will tell them things they don't want to hear and many friends won't do that. Mm. You can decide tomorrow to never come and see me again. I'm not going to be hurt about it. Yeah. yeah. All right? So this is what's different between a friend and a therapist. Yeah. There are two different kinds of I'm not going to call you and beg you to come back. Exactly. Exactly. And no Christmas presents, none of the birthday celebrations. It's not that kind of thing. No, it's not. And uh, a friendship 
assumes that there is a dual process, yeah, right? Reciprocity, yeah. Right, reciprocity. You don't know anything about your therapist, isn't their name and perhaps mm-hmm. whatever little information they reveal. That's not a friend. Mm-hmm. If that's what your friendships are, then that's not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the investment in that quote unquote relationship is in that space that both have built, right? And from what I gather too, the therapist might feel daunted as well in that journey. It's actually a question of resolve on his or her end as well. Yeah. So it's really fascinating to me that the dynamic, especially when it gets to the granular level of exchanges, you know, sociologically, there's just a lot that you can really, really think about in that level. So whereas friendship never comes close to that sort of texture, no. it's a different kind of closeness, you know, and it's hard to, to exist for me to describe beyond that unless people have actually taken that step, you know, yeah. so do tell the difference. I hope, you know, this clarification that you provided can help. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have fun because I'm I'm a therapist and I'm in therapy myself. And my relationships have gotten so much richer because of my experience of therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. And my friends, there are some things I tell my therapist and I don't tell my friends because there are some things that they can't understand. Yeah. It's something only my therapist will understand. Right. And so that's the other difference. I have very close friends, but not all of them know everything about me. You know, in that sense, my therapist is probably the closer person because there are some things which only my therapist can help me process. And my friends, I know that they will not be able to understand it. I tell them that this is a horrible thing I experienced. I'll get hugs and, you know, maybe a cup of coffee to have with them. Mm -hmm. But my real working through that comes with my therapist. And that is as important as that hug and that coffee. Truth be told, therapy can cost anything from 300 ringgit an hour to 900 ringgit an hour. When I go to therapy, I'm thinking about, all right, how can I get my money's worth? There's some things I can tell my friends. For the next 40 minutes, I'm just going to work on what applies to the amount I'm paying. Absolutely. You know? yes. <laughs> so it's not this sort of like go in and uh, like, like some Catholic confession where everything pours out. Not necessarily. It could help at that level. But sometimes for the quote-unquote client, consumer at that point, you want to know, all right, what can you get most out of this arrangement, right? And that's the best way to think about it. But the reactions I get, the apprehensions people have about this tends to be that they more or less, they don't want to say it this way, but they more or less want to be told how to feel about things. Mm. And that's not necessarily what a therapist's job is either, you know? So that's why they prefer God. God can just sort of like simplify it for you in almost a few bullet points, right? Yeah. Yes, and I suppose therapy doesn't have any right answers, right? There is no right, there is no wrong. There is just what you feel. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's not going to give you... That's the thing. Therapy is not a short-term solution. It is a long-term process. And, you know, yes, there are some things which you need to resolve, to be resolved in the short term, and those will be resolved. But on the whole, it is a process where you just learn to become more comfortable with yourself Actually, I've now come to see therapy as a very spiritual experience because most spiritualities, you are there to get in touch with your true self. And that's what therapy does. It Mm -hmm. helps you get rid of all the noise, right? Peel off all the layers of, you know, whatever you had to put up because of your insecurities or Mm -hmm. your past and get in touch with who you really are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And it is a spiritual process. Yeah, yeah. But denial is much easier anyway. (laughs) And cheaper. And it's my biggest competition. (laughs) Just as a caveat to our listeners as well, I think a lot of what we talked about here does not apply so much to CBT, which I've done with on a separate occasion. So you can look up that podcast. But I think with you, I mean, I know that your range on offer is quite dynamic, you know. 
but very talk oriented, very reflective oriented. Which, I will, I, uh, I will make people think. Yeah, yes. which which. Uh, I, my patients usually tell me, "Oh my god, like you know, why do you have to be so difficult?" Mm-hmm. Yes, but therapy is difficult. In university, one of my psychology lecturers said, "You know, somebody came and asked him." how do you know if therapy is good? And he asked them back, has it been easy or hard? And the person said, oh my God, it's hard. Then it's good. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's about the reward too. And the reward will come not always when you want to. You know, sometimes you're driving, stuck in a traffic jam and suddenly a conversation comes in a flashback and you realize, oh, that's what she meant. And it's yeah. every all the dots start connecting and you go, okay, that now... Because, you know, everybody recovers in their own time too yes. and draws these connections in their own pace and comfort levels. Anyway, thanks a lot, Vizsla, for this lay of the land in terms of getting therapy and how to just think about it, you know, and what to expect. So you are on Twitter. I am on Twitter at Vizsla Kumarisen. And people can get in touch with you that way uh, or email the show, bfmnightschool at gmail.com. Look us up on Night School. Just type that on the search space on Facebook or download our app at the Apple App Store and Google Play. Once again, I'm Ahmad Fatrahmat. You're listening to me alongside Vizla Kumarisan on this week's Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.